meeting, a pastoral meeting here in Tempe, uh, where we're talking about just answered prayers. And just kind of having a moment of evidence of grace and God's stories of what God has been doing within our congregation. Things that we cannot measure. Um, so um, things like we've seen the improvement of God blessing people's marriages that we've been praying for. Uh, we've seen people who were not connected um, in our church become connected. In fact, I said that I would get up here and say every week, hey, you need to be in a redemption community. And some of you guys have said, hey, you haven't said that in the last three weeks. It's because most of them are full now. And so now what we need is for you guys to become leaders and start new groups. And then I will say, hey, you need to be in a redemption community, all right? So that's a blessing because people are in each other's houses. Um, another thing that we, we've been praying for during the last six to eight months is that God would just help us during this transition. Some of you guys are fairly new, and so when I mention transition, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But just, just this time last year, we had a different lead pastor who wasn't myself. Um, this time last year... Um, Two weeks ago, we had a different worship leader who wasn't the worship leader who we have now, and we saw these things coming. We were able to send Justin to San Francisco, Vince, the Flagstaff, and we're just praying, Lord, what's going to happen with our church? And we pray that your spirit would be upon us, and God has blessed us. Uh, I would love to say that it was the talent or the abilities that we have with the guys, even though our guys are great. We're, we're, we're just not that good. And so we were writing all of these things down, looking back over our notes and saying, God, answer this, God, answer this, God, answer this. Um, and we've been talking about God. God's faithfulness. And we're just saying, man, interesting that we're in this series of God being faithful to us and faithful to his word, and God has just given us blessings. So one, that's an encouragement to you all that the spirit is at work with us. But the big announcement that I have that God answered our prayer is that we now officially own the property that we're meeting in now. Yeah. So it's a blessing. It is a huge blessing. Uh, I, I can't even tell you in words um, how excited I am. We were uh, meeting with some redemption community leaders on Friday. Uh, we told them. Uh, and as soon as I, I said it, um, I got choked up a little bit. And it was like a little bit of emotion. I was like, oh, what was that? Uh, so real stuff. Uh, partly because you guys have been praying and I've been praying. And there was a moment there where I'm thinking something bad's going to happen. And I'm going to have to get up in front of them and go, oh, we were joking about the building. So... I'm so excited that God, God took my weak faith and he, uh, he blessed us tremendously. So what does that mean? What that means is for the next few months, we are going to have meetings, uh, members meetings, as well as congregational meetings. So all of you can come. Um, we're going to just answer some questions. Um, here's some ideas on how we can use the facilities. Uh, what we want to do is to continue to do ministry here on Sundays and then classes on Wednesdays. Um, but what we don't want to do is say that majority of ministry happens here Monday through Saturday. Um, because we believe that we're gospel-centered. That means we believe in the life of Jesus, and then we're outward-focused. So we would hope that you're serving the city and the communities around you. However, God has blessed us with a tremendous amount of space, um, and so we want to be uh, stewards of it. We, currently, we have two schools that are meeting here. Uh, Jason Raber tallied it up. Well, there's about 12 uh, organizations, schools, ministries, and so forth that will be able to use the building. And so we're looking through that. Um, we will have a capital campaign uh, of which we will come and say, here's how much money we need to raise over this amount of time. We just don't know how much that is because we need to look at the building and see what do we need to improve. I can tell you first and foremost, and I've said this before, the children's ministry will be our first, our first thing we do. I say this in not a cliche way or a trite way, but they're our future, and we need to get in there and make sure that the, the facilities that they have um, is, is good. And so we're not taking any money uh, right now in the sense of, hey, we're going to raise money. However, if you would say, hey, I want to start giving now, go ahead and do that and just designate it for building. Jason will take care of it. But I think we'll come back in January and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
and this is what we're going to raise, and it's going to take all of you guys' ownership, not just money. We'll ask you guys to serve in areas that you never served in uh, and just be God's people here at Redemption Tempe. But with all of that, super excited, super excited. So praise God for that. Did you take out your Bibles? We're going to finish our, city, our series in faith, on faithfulness. Daniel chapter 6. Um, if you're just joining with us, you are at the end of a 10-week series in which we started off the series saying that we're going to uh, look at Daniel and Joseph. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, keep it raised really high, and then one of the guys will be able to get you a copy of the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the Bible that they give you. This is our gift to you. Um, so keep it. Daniel chapter 6 is where we'll be. And when we titled the series Faithfulness, it didn't, the purpose was not to say, look how faithful Joseph is or look how faithful Daniel is, but mainly to look at the faithfulness of God and to see who God is and his character and how he's faithful to his word and he's faithful to his people. And so we looked at the life of Joseph and we've been looking at the life of Daniel and now we conclude in Daniel chapter 6, which is at the end of Daniel's life um, in one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament and one of the most famous stories in the Bible is, is Daniel in the lion's den. And so we'll pick up there um, tonight. Uh, what we're going to look at at this story, even though it's familiar to a lot of people, um, three things I want to point out. One is the faithfulness of Daniel and how he's been faithful for all these years. Two is the prayerfulness of Daniel, how he's a praying man. And then three is the redeemer of Daniel. But before we do that, would you guys bow your heads with me and let's ask God by the Holy Spirit to bless our time. Father, we have much to be thankful, to be thankful for. Um, for all the things you've given us and for the things that you're doing. And though you have blessed us tremendously as a church and even individually, Father, we know that there's constant work, there's needs. Because every time we think of something that's going good in one marriage, there's a marriage that needs your help. And Father, we know that faith, Lord, is what we need to believe upon you, that your spirit may work in us. And your word is very clear that, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so as we open up your word today, Father, we ask that by your spirit that you would illuminate your word, that you would apply it to the waters of our life, and Lord, that we would hear it and be able to um, understand the message, understand how Daniel and himself points to Jesus. And that, Father, that we would be able to repent of whatever sin that we have and run to you and have the strength that you've given us in your son, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when you get married, um, or even when you're dating sometimes, but definitely you get married, you have to watch certain movies that you don't want to watch. Um, most of those movies are called, they're usually called chick flicks. I don't know why they call them that. And so, um, and you, for us, we go to the red box. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the red box. Usually nine out of ten times you're going to get a movie that's really bad. And so often you'll get one that's good. Um, I don't know if this movie was that good, but it was called The Vow. Um, it, it's, a, it's a mushy movie, and I watched it from, from a wife. Uh, Got the movie, and um, the movie is essentially about this this guy who's played by uh, Channing. Uh, I keep forgetting his name, Tatum. I said Channing Fry earlier, and they're like, no, he's a basketball player. <laughs> whatever, his name's Channing Tatum. Whatever, he's a good-looking white guy that my guy, my wife thinks is good-looking. So I don't really like him that much. So he's he's in this movie, uh, and the premise of this movie is this young couple gets married. Uh, they get into a car accident. If you haven't seen the movie. Um, they get into a, a car accident, and uh, the wife loses her memory. And not just, just parts of her memory, but she doesn't remember her husband. She doesn't remember the meeting. She doesn't remember any of that. And so the rest of the movie, um, th this particular guy pursues, pursues her and tries to do whatever it takes to remind her how much he loves her, the remind of the relationship they have, and he just has a commitment to her. Now, I love that picture, um, even though it's imperfect, but it is a picture of when God talks about how he's faithful to us. 
Often in the Bible, when the Bible uses the word faithfulness, it's the, it's the Hebrew word hased, the loyal love, that, that God himself made a covenant. It's a covenantal love that God made with Abraham at the beginning. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and also Genesis chapter 17, of which God himself says, I will be with you no matter what. Meaning I made a promise to you, and the promise that God has, he will actually play it out. And, and there's a, you see it throughout the scriptures. We said the fulfillment of the covenant, we talked about this in Joseph, comes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of which we celebrate every week here when we take communion. That Jesus spilt his blood, showing us no matter what, I took the payment for your sins. I will love you. I will constantly remind you when you forget. I will constantly pursue you when you're running away from me. There is a sense of God's faithfulness. And what we saw in the life of Joseph and what we've seen in the life of Daniel is what faithfulness looks like in us when we respond to the character and the love of God. Because both men were believers of God. They believed in that promise. And we've seen that in Daniel. And at the end of his life here, Daniel is about 80, 85 years old. He's still a faithful man. Read with me in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was, or fault was found in him. So here's the, here's the context. Last week, just to catch you up, in the end of chapter 5, we saw that Belshazzar, the king, was taken out by a man named Darius. So now the Babylonians do not run the, the, the country now. Now it's the Medes and the Persians who, whose king is Darius. And so like any organization, like any school, any big company, the bigger you get, the more systems and more structures you put in place, the more people you put in place to oversee other people. That's what was happening here. And so Darius likes Daniel. He, in fact, he loves Daniel. What we see is because he's faithful. He's a faithful man, and so he wants to put him in charge. He's one of the three higher officials, and it says he was a distinguished man because there was an excellent spirit that was given to him, meaning God had given him a spirit to, to be good at what he did. Um, some of us have that same spirit. Um, we talked about this before. There's a difference between saving grace, of which God reconciles us to himself um, by grace, working through faith, nothing that we do of works. We're made right with him. And then there's common grace where God gives all of us gifts and talents. And to some of us, we've been given more. Daniel was good at what he did, and people saw it. He just wasn't faithful to the Lord, but because he was faithful to the Lord, he could be trusted in his workplace. He could be trusted in vocation. They gave him much responsibilities. And what I love about this is he's an old guy, and they didn't go, you know what, Daniel's old. <laughs> he's 85. Let's just give him a job and, you know, pretend like he's really doing something. Um, no. He's a guy who's faithful. Somehow, my guess is he was still pretty alert at 85. He was still kicking. Um, this is Daniel we know so far. But people didn't like that. It says that there was opposition. Though we may have the Spirit of God in us, though we may be very good at what we do, at work, whatever it is that you do, um, just because you're good doesn't mean there won't be people who will be jealous. In other language, there's always going to be haters. <laughs> With an A. All right, there's, there's, there's going to be that, and he, Daniel has that. So Daniel's going to be essentially made the president, and they don't like that. 
He's Hebrew. He's from, he's from Judah. I mean, essentially, he's going to be the first minority president. And we, we know how much people love that, all right? I'm sorry. I read the bumper stickers. They, they, they don't want Daniel there. They don't want him there. The king wants him there. They don't want him there. And here's, here's what I love. They're going to now say, what can we do to get rid of him? And they said, there's nothing we can do in work. There's nothing we can do um, in his home life, in his private life, because here's what we know to be true about him. He's just a faithful guy. There's something about Daniel that I love. And the reason why we know he's faithful at 85 is because at 15, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he made that decision. And the decision that he made is he said that I will not defile myself with the king's food or drink. And we, we said in week one, he says it had nothing to do with the food. It had nothing to do with the wine. It had everything to do with him saying, I will make a decision to follow God always. And we've seen decade after decade after decade after decade. So often when we go to churches or we're part of certain parachurch ministries, we hear people say, make a decision for Christ, make a decision for Christ, sign your name, come down the aisle, come jump into the baptism, just make a decision. And you know what? Those are beautiful things. You should make a decision to follow Jesus Christ because of his love. However, it is very easy to make a one-time decision. It's really hard to say for the rest of my life, I'm going to make that same decision every single day. In everything that I do, in my relationships, in my friendships, in my family, in my work, the way I handle my money, the way I steward my time, I will constantly say, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. There is something beautiful about seeing an older man or an older woman who has walked with Jesus for a long time. I know as a church, we don't have the opportunity to experience that that much because there's only about seven of you guys a part of our congregation, but, but I'm asking you, sit down with people. And young people, pursue it. When I say young, if you're under 50, you're young. Everybody here, you should be pursuing somebody and hearing their story. There, there's a sense where you, you hear their lives, things that we think are so important and things we think are so life and death. They're like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, we were homeless for six years. Ain't God good. And you're just like, you didn't care about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was like 40 years ago. There's a sense of them just as a commitment. They're loyal. They're faithful. And, and another thing about the generation ahead of us and two generations ahead of us, what we're not known for is they are finishers. Daniel gives us a life of someone who's finishing well. What, what I mean by that is they started something, they said they were going to do something, and then they actually did it. The, the, our, our culture now, our generation, we will write our names on things and say, yeah, it's a commitment. It's not really a commitment. We're just writing for now. That's what it is. And we, we are a, a such a for now. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll love it for now. Uh, yeah, I love this job for now. And then our, mind, our minds change. Now, I'm not saying that you should never change your mind. I'm just saying, start something and finish. I, I'm not exempt from this. I told you guys all the time. I have a lot of books that I've read the first three chapters of. Amazing, right? There's a lot of books that I haven't finished. There's a lot of things that I haven't finished. It's just saying, stay put. We see Daniel's faithfulness, not only even to his job. Daniel was faithful to, to his God. He was faithful to his work. And he was faithful to his country. He was faithful to his city. And the reason for it is we, we read about in Daniel chapter 1 when we were talking about uh, the, the letter that was wrote to the exiles. These young men and women who were ripped out of their hometown, ripped out of their country, ripped away from the presence of God at the temple and brought to this foreign land. It was a letter from Jeremiah chapter 29 that God wrote to them. 
And God says, I know some of you are saying that you're going to separate yourself from the Babylonians. You're going to separate yourself from culture. He says, no, 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 no. Don't separate, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to build houses. I want you to have kids and have your kids get married and let them have kids. And and not only to multiply there, but not only to get jobs there, but seek the peace or the shalom. And we said peace was more than just getting along with people, but peace was saying caring about the school district as well as the sewage system, caring about the people across the street and the people that are part of your church. Um, it, it was an understanding that God says, if you seek their peace, and it's in seeking their peace and seeking their shalom, that, that you will find your peace. Daniel took that vision of the word of God and he believed it, and he lived in it. The, the question I had when I was writing down is, what would, what would our city look like Whatever city it is you live in, and I'm talking particularly here Tempe or Gilbert or Chandler or Scottsdale, wherever you live, what would our city look like if Christians, men and women, not just our church, we don't do things for the name of redemption, we do things for the name of Jesus, but if we were just believers in God, would just live in a city for a long period of time, would get jobs, we would act normal, we would love our neighbors, we'd love the people around us, we would understand what it means to be Christian at work and the park and with our friends for a long period of time, what would our city look like? What if we understood that work in itself wasn't just a, me- a means to an end, but work was an end in itself that God had placed us there to bring glory to his name, not necessarily just to get a check to pay our bills? What, what if we thought that maybe God himself has sent us to these cities to be witnesses, ambassadors of his name in all that we do, say, and think? That's, that's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all these exiles, they believe that. They believe that. And we begin to see some significant things that God was doing through them. Another thing that I, that I love about Daniel as well as Joseph is they had a passion for the Lord. And sometimes when we say passion, we think just hands raised and rolling all over the ground. No. Just a commitment, faithfulness. And even though they were in love with God, they didn't feel the need to have to become a full-time minister. They believed that God himself had sent them to their vocation. I just think, what would that be like? Now hear me, I'm not saying God is saying you can't move, and if you ever did, you're in sin. I'm just saying, I'm saying that, right? So I'm just saying, what, what, what if he did call you here just for a little bit? We, we see this faithfulness in, in Daniel's life, and then the opposition comes. They don't want him there, and the, the only way that they can get him, they knew that he's not going to sin against his God. They said, if we can change the law in a certain way that it's going to make him sin against his, his God, he won't do that. If he has a decision, he's going to worship God, and then we can get him. And then they go and trick the king. Verse 5 says this, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground or for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So here's what happened. They go to the king, and they say, king, hey, we have a really good idea for you. Um, how about just for 30 days, no one can pray to anybody? And I don't know what the king's thinking, but he's like, you know what, that, for 30 days, that sounds pretty good, right? A little trial error, right? There's a, there's a, there's a 30-day process that you can only pray to me. Well, what we're going to know later is the king didn't know that he was being tricked. The, the king liked Daniel, 
Uh, Darius and Daniel ha- had some sort of a friendship, but he was tricked. The, the, the second thing is, what are we going to see how Daniel responds to this? Or the question we would have for ourselves, what do we do, what would you do if you found out that you had a death sentence? Something that you had a decision to either obey God, love God, um, and if you did so, you'd be harmed, or renege your understanding and your commitment to the Lord. Or what do you do when you get bad news? What do you do when, when you realize that, that um, there's budget cuts at your corporation and there's layoffs? What do you do when someone that has told you over and over again, I love you, says, I don't love you anymore. What do you do when you go to the doctor and and you find out that that it's cancer? What do you do? What do you do in those moments? How do you respond? How we respond in in those moments reveals something of what we believe about God. And not only what we believe about God, but how we respond to those moments reveals something about us. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And not only speaks, but it acts, and it does. And so when we were in that, those pressure cookers, we're in those, those moments, what comes out is what, who we are. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't weep. I'm not saying that you're not afraid. I'm not saying that there's not fear. But, but how do you respond to God in that moment? You see, not only was Daniel a faithful man, but Daniel himself was a praying man. We see his, what he does in this moment. He acts calmly. Because, again, this has been a lifestyle of Daniel. The lifestyle and pattern of Daniel's life is that he constantly was, was in tune with God, constantly talking to God in prayer. Here's what verse 10 and 11 say. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God and he had, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel prayed. And, and Daniel just didn't pray in this moment. When we read through Daniel's 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and also Daniel 6, we see Daniel was constantly praying. Earlier we saw him praying with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now we hear him praying. That, that he, he, he's a man who just runs to the Lord in prayer. Because that's what an experience and a mature believer does. Robert Gelinas, who um, is, a, is a pastor in Colorado, he wrote a book called Finding the Groove, and it's essentially a book uh, about a metaphor of, of Christian, Christian faith and jazz. And, and he talks about, because um, he really loves jazz, he goes, if you see someone who plays the trumpet in a jazz ensemble, if he said, this guy's been playing the trumpet, someone said, this guy's been playing the trumpet for 15 years, we would expect that he'd be pretty good, right? Maybe like Gillespie or something like that, right? He's a really good, you guys don't know jazz, <laughs> there, that, that, he's, that he's really good. And he says, shouldn't it be the same for people who are Christians? If someone who's been a Christian, who's been practicing um, means of grace or spiritual disciplines, who's been praying to the Lord and understanding God's word and been in Christian fellowship, and if they say, I've been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 15 years, shouldn't we expect something good? That, that's what we see in Daniel's life because of his faithfulness. When he begins to pray, there's three things that we learn about prayer. The first thing that we learn is that prayer and his prayer, it's humble. Look what it says that he does um, in the, the second part of verse 10. It says that he got down on his knees. There, there, there is something about when we pray, getting on our knees. The Bible doesn't say you have to get on your knees. You can pray standing up. You can pray on your knees. You can pray in the car or in the shower, ever how you pray. I'm just saying there is something uh, of a posture of humility when you get on your knees and you pray. Um, if this is something you've never done, I encourage you to do it. Just try it. Just, just get on your knees and pray. 
and, and thank God or pray, whatever it is that you're praying about. If you're married, grab your spouse, sit at the edge of your bed and pray. Pray with your children. If you have children, if you have roommates, pray with your roommates. Pray, just, just get on your knees. There, there's a practical side about prayer too um, when you get on your knees. Because getting on your knees, um, especially the older you get, and I say that and I know it's like, really? I'm not that old. But when you get on your knees, it hurts a little bit. And so you won't fall asleep. You've been there before. I've been there before. And those prayer groups where someone's praying, someone's going really long-winded, it gets to your turn, you're like, oh, what? Uh, just a spirit, you know. Just a... No, you're asleep, right? <laughs> if, you, if, if, you, if you get on your knees, there's, there's a sense there. Also, for me, that's been helpful is I, I, my mind's constantly wandering. I don't know if you guys are like this. You ever start praying and you start, Lord, I really want you to do this. What? Did I turn off the lights? And your mind just goes somewhere else? I think there's a practical thing there that if you're on your knees, it hurts enough to go, Lord, I'm just going to pray, and whatever i got to say, I'm going to get it done, Lord. I'm going to stand back up, all right? <laughs> there's a posture, too. The posture is that you're low. Uh, da- Daniel, it says that Daniel went into his house, and, and he faced towards Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem in itself represented something to him, and, and he prayed three times a day. Jerusalem represented the temple. And for Old Testament believers, that's where the presence of God was. And there was a sense that he believed in God and was calling upon God's name because he needed God's presence. There was a humility about him. The second thing of his prayer that we see is that, that there, was a, there was a sense of consistency. It's that Daniel did this all the time. It wasn't Daniel just did this now. Remember, chapter 1, he made a decision, I would not defile God. And one of the ways that I would put myself in a position to remember his faithfulness and remember his grace is by understanding his word and by talking to him in prayer. Um, there, there, there's a sense where he just said, this will be a part of my rhythm. This will be a part of my daily life. This was a decision. If we are going to be people who pray, which that's been our prayer on um, all congregations, we have to make conscious decisions. I'm going to pray. And you have to figure out what times or how long. That's on you. Um, that's on you. If you're, some of you guys, you're really good at praying at night. I just told you, I cannot pray at night. As soon as I start praying, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, wow. That was amazing, right? I can't, I, I, I can't pray at night. Uh, that, that, that's not my strength. It, some of you guys are in the morning. Some of you guys on your, on your car ride uh, to, to work, wherever it is, just make consistent times for you to pray. I think it's helpful to pray at moments that are planned and spontaneous moments, that you're constantly in dialogue with the Lord. Um, there was a consistency here. The, the, the last thing about it, it's varied. His prayer life is varied, meaning he just didn't do what most of us do. Most of us, when we talk to the Lord, it's petitions. It's, Lord, can you do this? Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, I need this. Lord, they need this. Uh, Lord, she, she definitely needs this. There's, there, there's, a, there's a prayer that we have or confession. I'm so bad. I did this. I did that. Um, and yet what Daniel has is there's petition. It says also in, in verse 11, um, there's petition. And verse 10, there's thanksgiving. I'm convinced that we, we, um, we don't understand the, the art and the beauty of adoration and what it does to our soul. And when I say adoration, it's not so much of saying, God, can you, God, will you, God, I did this, way more to God, you are. God, you are holy. God, you are gracious. God, you are merciful. God, you are loving. God, you are kind. God, you are great. God, you are good. All of those things. I was challenged by a pastor years ago to say, if you take however many minutes you pray a day and 80% of your prayers, if you just spend 80%, excuse me, 80% of the time in your prayer time on adoration, once you get to petitions, what you realize is some of the things you were going to pray for, you don't even need to anymore. 
If you just spend 80 times seeing what you already have in God and just saying, Lord, you are this, Lord, you are that, do it. I, I challenge you to do it. Whenever I can discipline myself to do it, I realize I have so much already in God. That's why I think Daniel's calm. I mean, this is not, we tell this story to our kids as if it's a nice, cute bedtime story, but this is serious. Daniel's about to be killed, and, and he says, I'm going to go and pray. Well, what happens? He's caught. Verse 12 says, they came, um, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petitions to any god or any man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? And the king looks at him and says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. It was 30 days. He goes, oh, well, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, he was caught praying. And as soon as the king hears this, he's shocked because he knew he, he, knew he was tricked. He knew that he was going to make Daniel the president. He, he liked Daniel because of his faithfulness. And here's what the king's response is in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law, it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunctions or ordinances that the king establishes can be changed. So difference, different between Nebuchadnezzar um, and, and now Darius is that Nebuchadnezzar was a dictator. Whatever he said went. In the, in the Medes and the Persians, they had a law, and when the law was signed, no one could change it. And they did this because they wanted to say, this is, this is the law. The law is so important that no one can change it. And so now Darius knows there's nothing that he can do. And in verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the dens of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The king was sad. The king knew there's nothing I can do. Here's a man in whom I love, and now I have to give him to the lion's den. Now, there's no way to build tension in this story, because everyone knows what's about to happen. Um, he's going to go in the dens of the lions, and God's going to rescue him. But the king in this moment, if you can think, um, Daniel just walks into the den. The question I had is, um, maybe it's not the question you have, but why, why, why do they have lions, right? And what you learn from history is, I got the answer, is that kings at this time, they, um, they thought it would be fun or a hobby to hunt lions, right? And so they'd keep them in dens, and then they would have a way that they would lure them into the dens, and then they would cut a hole, and they would lure um, humans in there if they wanted to feed them. And that's where Daniel's at. So Daniel's lured into this deal, and, and now the stone is over it, and the king goes back home. He doesn't eat. He fasts. He shows glimpse of faith. Now, whether it's faith in God, we don't know, but he shows a glimpse of faith that, that he hopes something can happen to Daniel. And so there's a tension there. We, we, we have it here. There's a sense where now Daniel, faithful, prayerful, and yet he's in the lion's den. But here's what happens. Verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? So he goes in there thinking, of course he's dead. 
I mean, my guess is they probably put other men and women in there, and they didn't come out alive. Um, Daniel, goes, Daniel goes in there, and the king goes, maybe God did something. And he runs, and he goes, Daniel, are you in there? And I guarantee you it shocked him. Daniel was like, yeah, right? <laughs> he, he, I'm in here, you know? Like, and, like yeah, I'm here. Shh, be quiet. The lions are sleeping, right? Nothing, nothing's happened to me. This had to have shocked the king that we see now Daniel in the lion's den. And, den, and what, his response is this. Ultimately, his redeemer showed up. Um, this is what Daniel says. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. That we see that there was a redeemer for Daniel. And here's what I want to point out here, uh, just about um, the Redeemer or about Daniel's salvation because he was saved in this moment. Um, Daniel was saved, it says, because he was blameless, meaning he had a character about him that was faultless. And then he also says in verse 23 is that he trusted God. What he's saying is, I was faithful and I acted in faithfulness. Therefore, God, he rescued me. He saved me. I got to pause there and, and teach a little bit about salvation. Um, when we normally think of salvation, those of you in this room who are Christian and you say, is this person saved, is this person not saved, um, what we talk about is usually the forgiveness of sin. That, that salvation in itself by believing in Jesus, believing in his life, death, and resurrection, he forgives us of our sins, past, present, and future. We love that. And that's true. That's gospel truth. Yet, when we read the entire Bible in its totality, what we understand is salvation is far more comprehensive than only the forgiveness of sins, as beautiful as that is. Because what we understand that salvation is God himself saying, I'm going to redeem what was lost, meaning everything, even material things. What that means practically for us is when we begin to pray, we don't only have to pray for people's souls to be saved. Because even though God does care about every single soul, he cares about us as a whole. He cares about how we're doing financially, how we're doing emotionally, how we're doing socially, psychologically. He cares about things. He cares about that because we see that as a plan of his salvation to redeem not only people, but the entire world. And what we also know is God responds to faith. That God's people who have already responded in faithfulness, that when we respond in faith, it says that our faith, it was Daniel's faith that God says, I'm honoring faithfulness. We, we even see this in Hebrews chapter 11 in the chapter of faith. It says um, people like Daniel who were saved from the lions and because of their faith. So that means we can pray and ask God to move in just about anything. I and mean, we should at every moment. We should just pray immediately, even for physical things, not just the, the souls. Last night, we had um, one of those moments that as a parent you have, and you're like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. Um, our one-year-old start crying about 2 in the morning, and he's crying, and I, and I, I nudge my wife. I'm like, hey, Eli's crying. And she goes, I know. What do you want me to do? And I said, well, I just figured if I was awake, you should be awake, right? And there's a, there's a sense, and he's crying, and we're sitting there, and all we hear is boom. And I'm like, uh-oh. That's not good. So we run in there, and, and somehow he had, um, um, probably because he's really athletic, but somehow he had gotten out of the, gotten out of the crib, and he, and he fell down, and he's sitting there crying. And I'm like, my immediate thought was, Lord, please, I pray that he's okay. I didn't say, Lord, I pray that he believes in you right now, and he has a, a, a you know, saving faith, Lord. I pray that he understands Romans 8, 29. That, you know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't pray that. 
I just, I just, I really wanted him to be okay. And, and just to let you know, he, he, he's okay. Um, he's a steward, so his head's bigger than the rest of his body, so he was just totally okay, right? <laughs> but there was a sense where I, I know God cares about that. Also, um, though God uh, honored Daniel's faith and he saved him from the lion's den, um, and he does that often, and God has the ability to do that, he doesn't always do that. Because when you read Hebrews chapter 11, it says that God, because of faith, because of their faith, saved people from the lion's den. Right after that, it says that some people were sawed in two. So there are some people who God called by faith that he will rescue, and there are some people God calls by faith who will not be rescued. So we do need to have a balance of that. By no means am I saying this is prosperity theology, that if you believe enough in God, all of a sudden your finances are going to be okay. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God has the ability and he's able. Amen? Well, here's what the king does. Um, the king, in response to that, first what he does is, um, I mean, I forgot to, to say this this morning, and someone came up to me, hey, what did, what did King Darius do with the guys who uh, tricked them? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. All right, here's what he did in short. He took them and their families, and he threw them in the lion's den, and they ate them. No teaching points there, all right? <laughs> I, I, I was sharing this story with my son this week in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I, and I just read that to him, and he just looked at me, and I just looked at him and just kept reading. I, I don't know what to do in that moment, right? We'll wait. So then, this is what the king does after that. Verse 25, it says, The king Darius wrote to all people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's den. Here's what Darius does. Darius says, look at Daniel's life. Look at Daniel's life. Look how faithful he's been for all these decades. He says, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. He's saying, I want this to be a multicultural event for everyone to bow down and worship God because of Daniel. I mean, look at Daniel's life. We, we've seen him be faithful from when he was 15 years old. He makes a decision that he will honor God. Though he himself was ripped away from a country that it was own, his own, he was in a new place. Daniel in himself was faithful. He was consistent. He was obscure. He constantly gave glory to the Father. What we also know about Daniel is even in giving glory to the Father, doing exactly what he was called to do, he was falsely and wrongly accused. That Daniel himself was thrown into the den to be, to be killed. His enemies got rid of him, thinking that was the last time that they would ever see him. And then the stone itself was rolled over him, and that was it. And yet, God was able to rescue him and bring him back. And Darius says, do you see Daniel? Do you see his faithfulness? Do you see his prayerfulness? Do you see this? Every single person should believe in his God. But you know what? No one did. No one did. Because Darius made the same mistake that many of us do when we teach the Bible to ourselves and when we teach it to others, is that we look at brave and courageous men and women like Joseph, like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach and Abednego, and we say, look at their lives, look how faithful they are, now go be faithful. Look at their lives now, believe in God. But the truth of the matter is, as good as people as they were, as faithful as they were, or, um, doing as they did is not what saves us. 
We, we could never be just like Daniel. In fact, Daniel wouldn't say be like Daniel. Joseph wouldn't say be like Joseph. In fact, the entire Bible, when you see the Bible, says these guys are godly men, but the Bible is not about them. The Bible is not written about them. What we know from the totality of Scripture is that the Bible in itself, every single story, every single prophet, every single word says do not be like Daniel, but believe in the one, trust in the one, and who Daniel points to. Do, do you see the parallels of Daniel's life and the life of Jesus? Another Hebrew man who would come? A person who would not just be ripped away from his country, but someone who would willingly leave, willingly leave the comforts of heaven and come to a place, a foreign land, that he himself was faithful. Jesus is constantly saying, I can only do what I see the Father doing. He's constantly giving him glory. He has complete communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself lived an obscure, obscure life for 30 years. No one even knew who he was. And then finally, when he begins to do his ministry, and he begins to do exactly what he was sent here to do, to bring glory to the Father, and in doing so, to say that he was the Son of God, the Messiah that saved the world, he was falsely and wrongly accused. That he went to the cross, he was murdered, and he was put in the tomb, and the stone, as though was Daniel, was rolled over him. However, God did raise him from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead... Now we can look to Jesus, the true resurrection, not just, not Daniel's death and assumed assume death and resurrection and say, believe in God, but Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Now we can say every nation, every tribe, every people group, every man, every woman, every child, believe upon Jesus. Believe in Jesus, and you will know God. Amen? The Bible was never about Daniel. It was always about Jesus. Now when you believe and you see what Christ has done, now you can be faithful. It's in the strength of God you can be faithful. Because here, here's what I mean. Daniel is an example. He's an example. He's a really good example of how we should be. But what happens when we fail? The life of Daniel cannot forgive us. Jesus is not only an example, but when we fail him, he died on the cross for us. He's a redeemer. Amen? Just, just, just think about this for a second. In Daniel chapter 3, um, it says that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were in the fiery furnace, that the angel of the Lord showed up. And then in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel's in the lines, and it says the angel of the Lord showed up. Old Testament scholars and theologians constantly say that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is none other than God. And not just God, but the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate version of Christ, meaning before he took on flesh. So could you just imagine this, that Daniel is in this den with the lions, and then Jesus shows up almost to say, I'm going to shut the lion's mouth. I'm not going to let the jaws of the lions come down on you, knowing, knowing, before the foundation of this world, that one day, years later, that he would be in the same position, but he would not shut the lions. He would not shut the mouth of death. He's going to let it come down on him, because he knew the only way that I can truly save Daniel, and the only way I can truly save you, the only way I can truly put things the way that they're supposed to be, that the lion's mouth will be shut that the lion will lay with the lamb. I can redeem all things as if I come, and even though Daniel can walk away with no harm, I will walk away by spilling my blood. There is no better story in the world than the story of the gospel. Every single time we teach, every single time we open up the word, we will constantly point you to Jesus because there is no other name of which men are saved. There's no other name in which we grow in our understanding of God as mature believers. There's no other name that the world names none other than Jesus Christ. Amen? The whole story of Joseph, the whole story of Daniel, the whole story of the Bible is none other than Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we pray that our faith would be grounded in the life of your son, Jesus. And even as we will sing later, Lord, the song, Just Give Me Jesus, Father, I pray that our faith would be simple enough to understand that's what we need every single day. Lord, from the wisest of mind to the simplest of hearts in this room, that we would understand that Jesus is what we need, that we would grow up in an understanding of salvation, Lord, that we would lay aside the sin in our life that so easily entangles, that you would make us a people who will finish well according to your power of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word, that we would be a faithful people in all that we do, say, and think. Father, I ask that just the understanding of faithfulness, Lord, the language of faithfulness and, and obedience, Father, would be something that would be common to us. It would be common as we make commitments in marriage, friendships, churches, work, and all of life. Jesus, we know that you are going to redeem all things, but you have not yet. And so in this tension, as we are sinners, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that it is your patience and kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. And so where we are not faithful, where we do not pursue you, Father, we ask for your grace to change us and to grow us. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But in you, Father, we know that you've called us to be able to do all things according to your strength. We thank you in Christ's most precious name. Amen.